Hey everybody, it's me, Katiosaurus, and welcome to the very first, maybe I can't honestly remember, bonus Tuesday episode of Infinite Quest. What is a bonus Tuesday episode, you might be wondering? Well, I'm glad you asked. Eric and I have been absolutely overwhelmed by the response of the community to Infinite Quest. We are having an absolutely wonderful time with it. But one of the things that we've kind of honestly been struggling with is finding a balance between providing mental health content and those kind of discussions, but also finding a place and space for some of the other stuff that we wanted to do. Eric and I both have a wide range of outside interests and hobbies and activities and like weird stuff that we do and we know about. The Christmas Carol Turkey episode is a great example of this. And so we decided rather than having to choose between sort of our mental health educational content and some of the more sort of experimental or fun stuff, we would just give you both. So right now the plan is this. Infinite Quest is still not our day job, so we can't always promise you Tuesday content. But when we have bonus episodes or like weird stuff that we just want to try to get your feedback on, it's going to be released on Tuesdays. Our regular episodes about ADHD and depression and mental health and all of that good stuff will come out every Thursday like usual. The bonus episodes are just going to be kind of whatever we feel like doing that week. So with that being said, uh, this week's episode requires a little bit of explanation. Not a lot of people know this about me, but I am a professional magician. Before the pandemic, I was part of a magic duo called Never and More Investigators of the Arcane. My character's name was Evelyn Moore, and she is a time-traveling, immortal Victorian librarian. Because of course she is. Also, uh, I promise the story is going somewhere. I love old-timey radio dramas. I think they are a fascinating piece of culture. I think they're really interesting in terms of how stories used to be told before, like the internet and television. And so I thought it would be really fun to write a series of radio dramas about Never and More. Unfortunately, my grand plans for having a hit successful radio drama were thwarted by the fact that it takes a very long time to edit a radio drama podcast, and I knew nothing about podcast editing at the time, and so I just kind of gave up. However, I recently got a new computer, and in the midst of transferring files over from my old shitty laptop to my new computer, I realized that I still had a bunch of the scripts and a bunch of the original sounds. And so honestly, for really no other reason than I just was really proud of the writing that I did on this, and I really had fun putting these stories together, and Eric and I kind of wanted to do some acting together, we decided that it would be fun to kind of put this together for you as a weird bonus episode. And so for the first time, it gives me great pleasure to bring to you the never-before-published Case Files of the Nevermore Agency, Chapter 1. It was going to snow. The city knew, somehow. All around me, passerby hunched deep into their collars and hats, bundled up their coats and scarves, armor against an invisible blizzard that had not yet launched its assault. I walked somewhat aimlessly, spurred on by a feeling frustratingly familiar, yet altogether alien. It was like a lost sneeze or a definition missing its word, a feeling I'd become accustomed to but never found any less irritating. A man passed by me, too close, leering out from under his hat, and I turned almost reflexively and found myself wandering out of the streamlined business parks of downtown and down a street of shops and market stalls. 
It was the darkest part of winter, made darker by the ominous clouds that circled the city. It was that funny time of the year, too, too close to Christmas for the days to be of any practical use, but too far off yet for the anticipation to consume all but the most childlike among us. The nearby shops put up their best effort at contradiction, glistening with lights and holly and brightly wrapped packages and parcels, hoping to catch the eyes of last-minute shoppers, negligent in their duties. It was one such window that caught my attention. I do not remember the name now, since for many years it has simply been Monty's place, but then, at first glance, it might have well been called the old curiosity shop in all its stereotypical glory. It looked like something out of a storybook, all small, dusty window panes and a stark wooden door that looked like it once belonged to Scrooge himself. Seasonally appropriate, I thought. It was less than respectable, stuck haphazardly between a rather dubious-looking pie shop and a bank that somehow looked like it grown a bit tired of banking and fancied a change to something more exciting, like mail or patent licensing. The front windows of the shop were crowded, stacked and jammed with curiosities and antiques and oddities, most worthless, some having been worth something to someone once, and some being objectively priceless, yet still marked with a tasteful paper tag stating what priceless was going for at this particular establishment. I found myself unable to remember the definition of that particular word that meant the opposite of what I was thinking or the replacement thereof. It was right there on the tip of my tongue. And so I set my hand on the door's heavy brass handle and pushed inside. Hello? The interior was dark, lit by a few spare fixtures hung too high to be of any real use. Glass counters and shelves were shoved in tightly together, creating a series of strangely themed mazes. Here, the blank eyes of a dozen dusty porcelain dolls glinted in the light. There, a pile of antique billiard balls and newspapers, some from the last war, rested precariously on an old dentist's chair. The room seemed to shift even as I moved. From one angle, I could see rusty farm tools and wooden crates, empty Coke bottles, and half of a gas pump. From another, racks of dusty fur coats awaiting a fashionable redemption, and a mannequin missing most of its limbs. Ah, hello? Hello? Who's there? Yes, I'm... Go away, we're closed. Oh, I'm sorry, I was just walking by and I just wanted to... And you felt a sneeze coming on? He was old, and he wore a brown suit with patched elbows. He looked as though a used car salesman had gotten very, very old and suddenly decided to take up antiquing. Maybe he had, I thought. It's a decent enough way to make a living. Are you looking for anything in particular? I didn't know what to say, so I glanced down at the case in front of him, hoping for inspiration. I watched as he followed my gaze, then suddenly reached, without looking, in the impossible tangle of pocket watches and chains and tie tacks in the bin before him, and retrieved a simple golden locket. Try this. He held it out to me, and I gently let it settle into my right hand. I suddenly remembered. An antiodromia. Eh, uh, sorry, what? An antiodromia, the replacement of something with its opposite. That's what I thought. She's been waiting for you. Who? Eh, uh, don't worry about it. It's not important. Do you like it? Yes, I mean, it's quite beautiful. I'll tell you what, that's been sitting here for, what, years now, and you're the first person who's ever caught her, whoever paid it any attention. 
Why don't you keep it? Are you sure? Absolutely. Just, uh, just do me one favor. Yes? Keep it safe. <laughs> of course. And, uh, maybe come by every so often. You, uh, you liven up the joint. <laughs> I'm Evelyn. Monty. Monty Freeberg. It's a pleasure, Monty. We chatted for a while, exchanging pleasantries. He insisted on showing me more of his collection of oddities, but nothing caught my interest or attention in the same way that the locket had, now snugly placed in my pocket for safekeeping. And that is how I met Monty. Remember Monty, he becomes important later on. As I left the shop, suddenly and without warning, a shock ran through my body and fear, pure, unadulterated fear. My hand seized around the locket in my pocket, and I was paralyzed. I felt myself falling, unable to stop myself from collapsing from the pain and confusion and the sudden, specific feeling of being unable to sneeze. From the side, I saw the brown trousers of that sweet old man move towards me. I noticed his socks peeking out from his shoes. They were blue and yellow, argyle, carefully darned. You all right, kid? You just stay right here. I'll go call for help. As I lay on the cold asphalt, I looked up and it seemed as though I was traveling through thousands of stars as it quietly and finally began to snow. And then I died for the seventh time that year. These are the unique histories of Nicholas Ever and Evelyn Moore, purveyors of antiquities, anomalies, and investigators of the arcade. Welcome to the case files of Never and Moore. I sneezed myself back into existence. It was exhilarating. I brushed some snow off of my face and looked up where Monty was standing over me with a look of receding concern on his face. Oh, Jesus, kid. I thought you were... Bless you, I guess. Thank you. And I was, but I'm better now. How do you... It's a very long story. I got nothing but time. Come on, get up. You're blocking my customers. There has always been something special about Monty. Now, writing this, I have a bit of a better understanding of his more unique talents. But then, in that moment, it was simply the way he looked at me. There was kindness in his eyes. But it was the spark of recognition that drew my attention. And as quickly as I forgot the word that means to turn inside out or backwards, I knew that I could trust him. And so, I reached up my hand, and Monty pulled me to my feet. Monty offered me a seat and some coffee, and I gratefully accepted both. I clutched the battered mug in my hands, grateful for the small bit of warmth. My hands, I should note, are always cold, unless they aren't, and that's even worse. The snow continued to fall softly beyond the window, transforming the world outside into a miserable maelstrom of white. I stared at Monty, not sure where to begin. Maybe the beginning? I must have reacted because he smiled at me then, far more knowingly than I was comfortable with, and said, You're not the only one with unusual talents, kid. He smiled and patted my hand. A spark, something like static electricity, ran through me. Aversion, I muttered. Aversion? Aversion, to turn inside out or backwards. That, uh, that happened to you often? <laughs> Constantly. You, um... <clears throat> Die that often, too? 
Now that is a much more difficult question to answer. There is a particular loneliness to the uniqueness of my situation. Having grown up with it, grown into it, I suppose I've become accustomed, or at least resigned, to this fact, but it never makes it any easier to admit to myself, even, let alone talk about it with a stranger in a brown suit. It's just that, well, I suppose you might say that I have an unusual skill set. That, uh, manifests as you dying in people's doorways? Not usually. Well, on occasion. People, who have known each other for a very long time, often tend to have a shorthand. Half sentences, glances across the room that communicate entire paragraphs. A symbiotic understanding. With Monty, I found this instantly. I looked at him, searching for some way of articulating something impossible, implausible at least, and he nodded, almost as if he'd expected exactly this response. How long has it been like this? My entire life. I expected him to laugh or scoff or react, I suppose. But Monty merely sighed and stretched and reached over to scratch behind the ears of what I'd previously thought was a pile of antique catcher's mitts, but revealed themselves to be a small, unfortunate dog who gave the appearance of being mightily annoyed by this sign of affection and, with a great effort, navigated off of the counter and into a makeshift dog bed nestled between some crates and a filing cabinet filled with what looked like a mix of dog biscuits and accounting records. Sorry about him, that's Stromboli. I hate him, he hates me. I'd fire him, but he's an excellent accountant. Yeah, 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 you and your mother. Listen, uh, do you believe in fate, kid? That's a complicated question for someone in my situation. Yes or no? I suppose yes. Good. I don't think you wandered in here by complete accident. No. And I don't think this locket has sat here for 17 years because I'm a bad salesman. No. And I don't think that girl that's been standing over your shoulder since you came in is a figment of my imagination. You can see- For an old man, I'm a pretty perceptive. Well, I can see that. I get the feeling you, uh, you see a lot of things, don't you, kid? Yes. Your whole life, huh? Yes. That has to be pretty lonely. Yes. Listen, I don't want to uh, overstep here, but there's someone I think you should meet. It feels, I don't know, important, maybe? Give me a minute. Monty reached over to his phone, itself an antique, and painstakingly began to dial a number on its rotary front from memory. An actual eternity later, he finished, and from across the room, I heard a voice answer on the second ring. Ever here, what? Hey, uh, Nick, I've got someone here that I think you should meet. Not interested. Nick! No, not after the last one. I waited for at least an hour and she never Nick, showed no, up. no, it's, it's not like Besides, that. Besides, you know how I feel about redheads. Nick! What? This isn't about a date, you idiot. Then- Just get over here. Fine. And put on a clean shirt. I do not often feel safe in silence. There is too much emptiness, too much space for the voices and the memories that haunt me to creep in uninvited. But Monty was, then, and is now, an expert in companionable silence. 
We sat then and waited as the snow continued to fall outside. I watched it swirl against the glass and sipped my coffee, grateful to have something concrete to hold on to. It had been a very confusing day. Suddenly, the door flew open. Before us stood a tall, muscular man, slouched into his peacoat, his face half covered in a garish wool scarf, the other half covered by a fedora, the old-fashioned kind. One hand clutched his black peacoat to his chest, the other held a flask, which he managed to bring to his lips twice before the door swung shut behind him. Stromboli yelped with what I can only assume was joy and charged the figure, who stooped his tall, muscular frame to lift the dog and suffered through a great deal of excited barking and licking as he shook a healthy covering of snow from his coat and hat. All right, Monty, I'm here. What are you... As he pulled his scarf from around his neck, I couldn't help but notice that he was dashingly handsome, the old-fashioned way, like a movie star. Over the noise, the stranger locked eyes with me and said... <laughs> Is that a locket in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? And in that flurry of snow and stromboli and whiskey, it was then that Nicholas Ever walked into my life. These are the unique histories of Nicholas Ever and Evelyn Moore, purveyors of antiquities, anomalies, and investigators of the arcane. Hey everybody, it's me, Katie Osaurus, and we just wanted to let you know that this week's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Honey Playbox. What is Honey Playbox, you might ask? Well, I'm going to give it to you straight. They sell sex toys. But here's the thing. Honey Playbox believes that pleasure, play, health, and accessibility are necessary for positive experiences of sexuality. And you know what? Here at Infinite Quest, we agree. Especially in conversation with how tough sex and sexy times can be when you're struggling with ADHD or depression or any sort of neurodivergency. Having open, honest conversations about sex and sexuality are really, really important to us. And our friends at Honey Playbox agree. And not only do our friends at Honey Playbox agree with that, uh, they also want you to save a little bit of money while you're having these conversations and exploring sexuality and what works and doesn't work for you. So they've hooked us up with a 20% off discount code. From now until the end of March, use code InfiniteQuest to get 20% off your order. That's like honestly not a bad deal, you guys. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Also, just because I think this is very funny, Honey Playbox was kind enough to send over just a ludicrous amount of stuff for me and Eric to look at and talk about. So in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some content over on the YouTube, and we're also going to talk more just about sex toys and how they can help uh, your ADHD relationships. So we will uh, be posting that content soon, so you have that to look forward to. So again, use code InfiniteQuest if you want 20% off your order over at Honey Playbox, and uh, have have fun. Oh, okay, bye.